0: that idea of kind of a more diverse team trying to get those mm-hmm. other stories and mm-hmm. thoughts because ideas come from everywhere but if you're looking at a bunch of white people in a room you're only getting certain stories from a certain amount of places so you
1: yeah know, they'll be and I, and I think it's a it's a you know uh, there does need to be a sh- you're listening to the can't sell this podcast dedicated to projects past that never saw the light of day With your hosts, Hugh Elliott and Stefan Grambart. (music) Greetings, listeners. Stefan here, and I'll be flying solo this episode of Can't Sell This, where I'll be chatting with an esteemed guest. She's built an impressive career in children's entertainment, having worked with some of the biggest names in Canadian entertainment. Her focus on market research and collaboration between academics and entertainers puts her at the forefront of innovative programming in this country and abroad.
0: My name is Kim Wilson, and I actually do a number of things right now. I teach at Ryerson, but I also run the Children's uh, Media Lab there, which is focused on kind of bridging the gap between academic research and content creators. I also have my own consulting company called One Fish, Two Fish Consulting, which is kind of an homage to my love of Dr. Seuss. And similarly, I use, we use research and understanding about child development to actually make the job of the content creator, regardless of what platform they're on, do the best content they can. I also do educational mm-hmm. content, we've the educational mm-hmm. content for Titan One Studios. And uh, I'm on a few boards and do some other fun stuff too. But those those are my main, the main things anyway.
1: So it seems like you're doing a lot of children's programming and you're doing a lot of research. And I think that's really interesting in the creative process. You know, at the earliest stages, you need to research not only your content, but also your audience. I think it'd be uh, fantastic to talk a little bit more about where exactly you got started in research and why you took this research-centric approach to content creation.
0: You know, I've most, like recently, I've started the Children's Media Lab and done things that are more obviously research-driven, but I actually think that I've been a bit of an info- Geek my whole life, getting information, being inspired by data and by research. And I really think it's started when I was at TVO, when I was first doing children's programming. And we, one of the great things I did while I was there was created the whole preschool block with Marie McCann, who now is at CBC. And we created this out of nothing. And how we started was we looked at the Ontario school curriculum. And I have always been passionate about this fusion of education and entertainment for kids. I think kids have an insatiable desire to learn. And if you make content in the right way, if you think about them the whole way, you can make amazing things. So I think that was the very beginning in terms of, you know, wow, when I look this information up, when I find out more about kids, I did research about the development of kids at that time. And the more I found out the more that I think the content that we are making was better. So just as an example, to give you an idea of of something that could trigger you. So for preschool uh, audiences, one of the things that you should really know is they're only watching the screen 50% of the time. So once you understand that developmentally, they're distracted, there's a lot of things going on and they're so egocentric and looking at other things, um, what does that tell you about how you make your content? It tells you to pay really close attention to the audio because you can get kids' mm-hmm. attention back to the screen if you put in audio cues and different things to bring them back and to let them know that there is a moment. I can think of a show that did this. Oh, I love this show, uh, Pinky Dinky Do. We worked with it on that show with Sesame. And I love the show because it was this amazing show for any number of reasons, but one of the things was there was this word of the day that was introduced and there literally was a bugle that went just before the word was introduced. (laughs) So for a preschool audience to whom it was targeted, you hear the bugle, you turn your head Mm -hmm. back and you hear this amazing word of the day. So that's the kind of thing where just by the sheer notion of understanding a little bit about child development, you can make content that's so much better. Uh, so and then by the time I got to CDC, I think, you know, and became the head of Children's uh, Lynn Oldershaw, Dr. Lynn Oldershaw was already working there and she's a developmental psychologist. And I just couldn't get enough of having Lynn working on the projects. And it's really funny because I think it's an interesting thing how, you know, we have these impressions in the media industry about people who are the educators, how they don't understand the TV world, they never will. And it was really funny because Lynn had previously been an actor and on top of having been an actor, she, You know, it doesn't take, we didn't go to school for 20 years to become television or digital superstars. It was much shorter than that. So there is a learning curve, but once you get there, you know, I found that what she was giving in terms of notes were spectacular. So while I was there, we actually built kind of a whole child centered approach called the whole child. That was our whole child strategy, where we looked at a number of components, um, physical, social, emotional Um, and cognitive literacy and we started to build out things based on how we understood how kids developed and how we could translate that research into making more engaging programs and I think part of what was really cool for us was looking at areas where people weren't at that time doing a whole lot like Mm -hmm. in physical literacy And taking something, and I think that's one of my favorite things, Stefan. One of my favorite things is this idea of what can uh, content do that you think it shouldn't be able to do? And when you look at the research sometimes, it's like you can, you know, kids get engaged, especially preschoolers, they get very engaged. They, you know, have this believability of everything. So you know, for a show like we did this one called Bow on the Go. And it was almost built like a video game with bow going through these three dilemmas before getting to the end of the story. And so at various times it's like, oh, you better get in your bow zone. Uh, If you move with me, you give me energy, my power banglows when you get on the go. And so there was this great idea where, so kids would clear out the area, get in their Bozone and do it. And so here we were having kids watching what would have traditionally been a passive experience and making it in, in a, a lot more active mm-hmm. and engaging. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part, like the development part too, is you know this perception that all kids wanna have passive viewing experiences. And I mean, now we know from the digital side that it's very different, but Yes, school-age kids do want to have some passive experiences, but preschoolers have no interest. They want to be actively mm. involved in the story in in any way that they can. So that's why I think it's been so important to me in terms of, you know, how it's kind of come to that point.
1: Right, and, and when you talk about Bow on the Go and getting your Bo Zone, you could talk to a, a programmer or an entertainer who then would say, "But, but the show's not going to change when the kids do something active." but the kids don't know the that. The kids don't know that, yeah. How, how did you sort of tap into that psychology or how did you tap into that sort of um, mindset? Like, tell me a little bit about how you, you get this information.
0: So I think there's two things. There's the, I'm doing an early numeracy show and let's figure out what we know about how kids learn early numeracy. There's that, and then there's on the other side, developmentally what do we know about kids So this one was actually easy because preschoolers are egocentric and how that plays out in television is you know we've all, depending on what era you're from you've you're either from an era where it's like you know, uh, romper room, looking through the the, the mirror, saying, "I mm-hmm. see, you know, Stefan and Kim, and you wait what? for your name to be called. Yeah. Oh, they see me, or it's the you know interstitials that were big over a period of time at TVO Kids and at YTV in the Zone, where it's like, I see, you know, I you know, I'm I'm telling you right now, and you know, as if you're directing it right to a child, mm-hmm. and for preschoolers, school age kids, they know <laughs> talking to a whole bunch of us, but preschoolers always think." that the person is talking to them. They don't understand that anything could have been pre-taped. They don't understand all of these other things. They actually think they're talking specifically to them. Even if there's 12 other kids in the same room, Mm -hmm. that's just the way that their brains are wired at that point. And of course, until you're seven and you reach the age of reason, you can't process some of those bigger concept ideas that, oh my gosh, you know, I remember when I was at TVO Kids and we do tons of outreach. And I, I I can't tell you how many times kids would say, Patty, how did you get out of the TV? Because it's just such a phenomenal thing to them that this person who's in this little environment suddenly is somewhere else. So I think a lot of it when you're doing creative content is about like, what do you know about kids? And I find it remarkable and challenging And I think most content creators do. And the easiest thing is to forget that we're the only content creators making content not for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I've heard so many content like people pitching me shows over the years saying, oh, I would have loved this when I was four or I would have loved this. And it's like, okay, maybe, but it's hard to remember emotionally what your experience was like, especially you know, as a preschooler. So you're not in that age group. And the world has changed. What preschoolers are thinking about now are school-age kids. It's very different. The social world is always changing. There's developmental stages, but the social world is always changing around them. So it's hard for us to remember. So I think we're lucky because when you do kids' content, you get to do all the genres. You're not just in horror or documentary or science fiction or comedy or drama. You're in all of them. That's the great part. The challenge is you really have to Uh, Make yourself, you know, stay up to date culturally, socially with what is on with kids um, so that you can keep up to what's going on. And sometimes I used to at CBC send my teams out and even at TVO, you know, every once in a while, it's like, I'm going to send out a team who's doing, you know, my team, when they were rebuilding the website, I was like, you're going to go spend the afternoon at a daycare center, because honestly, and they all came back with the same thing. It's like, you know, I thought I knew, but I was so surprised when they asked me this or when they did this, because, you know, we make what we like, you know, that's one of the Mm -hmm. problems, right? We make what we like, what we think people like, and it's harder to do with kids because that's a whole different group of beings that isn't who you are. So that's a kind of an extra challenge. Developmentally understanding kids, I think is a cornerstone and something that the longer you're in the industry, the less you make a point of doing,
1: right? Is it because you then feel like you're leaning on your experience and, you know, I, I know this, I've done this, uh, and then you, you stop researching, or is, it, or is there another factor that's involved?
0: Well, I think that's part of it. I think a bigger mm. part, to be really um, honest with the challenges that I think content creators have right now, you're so busy, you're generally underfunded, you're doing a million things at once and the thought of spending more money just to have somebody come in or to give you, tell you a little bit more about what kids are like, seems like, oh my gosh, I can't afford the time or the money for that. So you find more with content creation that people will, if they're doing a particular curriculum area that they want some insight, they'll hire a curriculum specialist or expert. And I think part of it, so so getting to the next step, which is, you know, the Children's Media Lab, I think what we're trying to do, this whole idea came out of um, me being at Ryerson, I was teaching children's television, I felt we needed to do more at Ryerson, because we had, we, you know, we're leaders worldwide, and I just wanted to do something, so I just kept hanging about talking, and then I had the good fortune of, of, knowing Colleen Russo, um, who had just finished her PhD and married JJ Johnson, uh, who owns Sinking Ship and moved yep. to Canada and we started chatting and this was the match. Like Lynn and I at CDC, here Colleen, a developmental psychologist and I from the industry content side, here we together could do something. And we came together mm-hmm. with this shared interest in kind of bridging the gap between content creation and academic research.
1: Wow. I mean, it sounds like an amazing team that that put this together. And like you said, like coming from three very strong backgrounds and putting this together, the Media Lab is is very, very interesting. Tell me a little bit more about what you actually do. Like, because I understand that you engage with uh, scholars and with the industry, but but what do you do? Like, let's say I'm a a content creator and I want to get some help in creating some children's content.
0: Well, primarily what we do now, because we're not a bricks and mortar. We're like, we're part of a zone at Ryerson. We, you know, can do as much as we can. Basically, we look for research opportunities um, to do research that we can then release to uh, the industry, to the community. And we usually do a think tank night where we have brainstorming and discussions. So in spring of 2019, we released a research report called The Landscape of Children's Television. And we did Canada, but there were similar reports done around the world. And what was interesting about it was it was the 10 years after the first research report of that type had been done in 2007. And it came out of the Dr. Maya Goods working out of uh, Bavarian Broadcasting Corporation. They have a whole research area there. And so that's where it had started in 2007. And then we got asked to do the 10-year anniversary. So just to give you a few insights from that report, So and and to go from one to the other here, we we released research. We had a think tank night. It was awesome. And from that think tank night, something came out of it, which I'll tell you in a minute. But basically some of the big things that happened in that report. So just a couple of highlights because there's lots of stuff. It was about race, gender, Mm -hmm. behind the scenes, all of that stuff. There were some things that of course weren't surprising. The majority of behind the scenes uh, teams are white men, especially producers, directors, writers. We weren't reflecting our diverse populations in a great way. One of the more disturbing numbers was in 2007, the split of protagonists on kids shows in Canada was 65% male and 35% female.
1: Ooh, right. So do
0: you yeah. want to guess what it was 10 years later in 2017?
1: Uh, I'm going to say, Uh, A jump of 10%?
0: Sadly, there was no jump. Oh, (laughs)
1: no. So,
0: you know, and it's not to say that there weren't good things happening. Mm -hmm. It's just to say that that's that's what the makeup is. Because don't forget, this is public broadcast. This is private broadcast. Um, It's a mix of all of those. And it's all television. None of this is the streaming services. And we'd like to get to that Mm -hmm. at some point, Mm -hmm. right now it's television. But so, and then there was other things that, um, there was this funny thing that came out that, you know, You can see what was happening in shows where the sidekick character was a female because they thought we better put one in and they were often a person of color. So there was this checking of two boxes, uh, which was really crazy. And then how did characters solve problems? Girls were twice as likely to use magic as were boys who were more likely to use leadership or STEM skills. And, you know, and listen, I'm telling Mm. you, Stefan, I'm geek for all this stuff. I love educational content. And I'm the one who triggered Bo on the go, which was about, you know, that's a show that's about magic, right? Move with me magically, this will happen. So it doesn't matter how immersed you are, you're going to make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. Mm -hmm. The Mm -hmm. idea of all this isn't to say you're doing this wrong, or this is terrible. It's to inspire people to think differently. It's to empower them to change or to try something different.
1: Jumping in on that for a second when you were working on Bow on the Go and you decided to use, or, or when the decision was made that this was a largely a magical creation show, right? It, it seems to me that, you know, it's not a problem if this one show is it, ha- it uses magic. Uh, it seems to me that, is it more of an issue because it's so predominant? Yeah. And then does that become, you know, like, oh, now in hindsight when we look at where the entire landscape is going we need to make some changes.
0: Absolutely. Like, I think that's it. You really have to have a, a picture. Like, yeah, I just think thinking about these things makes mm-hmm. you approach your content differently. Right. If somebody tells you like JJ Johnson at Thinking Chip was working on that great show, Androids at that time, 2007, it didn't start off as a female character. I don't know if you know that, he, you mm-hmm. know, he's a guy, he was writing a male character. And then he saw the results of that report. And now JJ is an amazing guy who really is a very kid-centered person, right? He really does think of kids when he's making his content. So, you know, he's fantastic that way. And that made him change his show because that's the idea, right? Not just that you change one show, but you think about it. I love the expression out-of-the-box thinking. And I love it for a number of reasons because I love brainstorming. I love brain writing. That's one of my favorite things now. I love the concept of brain writing, which makes it easier for introverts to be participants in the process and I really do love this idea, but I think it isn't so much bigger, greater ideas creatively. It's about thinking outside of this box that you got yourself in. And it's not that you put yourself right. in there. The media over decades mm-hmm. of telling you the same thing over and over again, the pictures you've seen, like I grew up seeing very few female characters who were tomboys like me and i'm a white privileged woman right like it's this idea of how do you get outside of of that i saw kareem abdul jabbar was wearing a t-shirt you know to on an interview the other day uh, do you know him he's like a really yep. old like a basketball star yep. and he had this t-shirt that said you know, make make friends with people who don't look like you. Nice. And there's just, this has always been the way in the creative industry. We all hire our friends and people we know because we're comfortable with them. And over the years, I've realized my biases too. I've always thought of myself as a very intuitive hire and I've hired tens, if not hundreds of people, a lot of people over the years. And, but I, I at some point, and I think it was at TVO because I really was thinking about this at CBC. I, you know, I hired a couple people at CBC who did terrible, terrible interviews. And the reason is because people who do terrible interviews aren't terrible employees. They're just different than someone like me, who's a extrovert, who loves to chat and go on and on. So, but so this idea of out of the box is, is really thinking about things that you haven't thought about before. What are those things that you should be tackling now? And how do you, you know, especially like when we talk about the, men behind all the amazing mm-hmm. you know doing all of the work or you know when we talk about persons of color people of color it's this idea of okay so how do i because people say well I, you know we put the ad out nobody applies it's so much beyond that right in terms of where you place it right. and how you're helping you know bring people up so that's kind of you know the fun part of doing the center for scholars and storytellers is this idea of hoping to inspire people Uh, to make content. And what came out of that first one, which I kind of teased a little earlier, was this idea that, you know, there was a couple of broadcasters who said, I think we're doing better than that. And one Mm -hmm. of the things that we know is that the majority of content is animated. So then we decided to take a look at just at animation. So we just released a research report um, called examining children's animated television content. And it basically looked at six of the primary broadcasters. And that's, it's, in, it's actually interesting too because the gender thing is different. You look at the human characters in animation and it's true, it's pretty much the same. There's 57% of the characters were male. You know what's really crazy? With non-human characters, 70% male, 30% female. Interesting. Animals and robots and monsters. So, you know, so we're making some progress, but you know, there's still, that's the kind of thing we want to inspire people to say, Oh my gosh. And I think part of that is a bias we all have. I find myself doing it all the time. You know, you see an animal, a dog, you assume it's a he, you, an inanimate object. If you play with it or create something, you assume it's a he. And that's generations after generations of hearing those um gender um ideas put on them it's it's Mm -hmm. hard work to get out of Mm -hmm. our biases but and that's what it is right we have you just have to be thinking about things in a different way Um, here's so i'll give you a couple others from this big study because i think it's kind of interesting do you have eyelashes stefan
1: do i have uh, yes i do
0: interesting because the research suggests that the characters that have eyelashes are all basically girls. So this is a way, so here's, you know, we looked at 20, there was 26 characters And out of the 26 characters, 25 were female and one was a male. And that male, by the way, was a cute little baby character. So the idea is to make, if you want to feminize a character, hey, let's give her fancy eyelashes. And I think that's the, you know, I guess what we're doing is saying, hey, we challenge you to say, let's use a number of things to make characters more well-rounded. Let's Mm -hmm. use a name. Let's use a personality let's you know like I think about a character like um Violet in The Incredibles and you know she didn't have all of these feminine. you knew she was a female so it's that idea of how do we kind of get people to not send those sub because basically eyelashes are like mascara which basically sends kind of a subtle message about makeup wearing makeup yeah. It. Yeah. yeah it's the idea of how can we make these characters have more context to them that are, have more richness to them so that was kind of a big one too and then disabilities i think that's you know we mm-hmm. know from what's happening i mean co- covid aside or whatever else is happening aside you know there are certain things that are um higher more kids are suffering from anxiety there's adhd like 20 percent of Uh, North Americans suffer from some form of anxiety, 20% have disabilities. So we didn't see characters who had, who were neurodiverse, which is a really important area. And, but even with disabilities, there was just virtually nothing. Um, There was, you know, 2%, I think, had a disability. So there's, I think there's uh, some work to be done there. And it's not just a matter, again, of doing like that you know, that girl who was the non-white and the the sidekick character, oh, we'll check a couple boxes. You don't want to do that in this area too, right? You want to celebrate that they're the main character. It's, you know, part of a number of things, that who they are. It's not all about, oh, let's not make it all about, oh, this person's in a wheelchair. So we're going to talk about that in every storyline. So it's, you know, the idea is is to inspire Mm -hmm. and empower and give people the information and not make people read those lengthy academic reports. Because I think that is a, a thing, it's expensive sometimes to access those reports. And it's a lot of information to go through. So, you know, if you are old enough to remember Cole's notes, you know, exactly. that I what they used to have to, you know, when we didn't want to read the book or do this stuff, it's like, oh, here's the summary. Or if you read, you ever go online, it's like, oh, well, here's an executive summary or something. It's that, it's the say, you don't have to read all the stuff here. We'll give you this, the, the what it is. And usually we sum it up with, you know, So um, what is the research telling us? And then how to use this research in your work? Like, what could you do to make this better? Like, what kind of things can you be thinking about? And then why act on this research? And that why is about, you know, the part that's really important, the impact you can have, normalizing, um, you know, what kids see and knowing that they see someone who look like them. I, I can tell you from all the years of doing the hosted interstitials, the breaks between the shows with all the different hosts and having so much male come in. And by the way, that is the thing I miss the most, not working at a broadcast uh, environment is seeing the male come in from kids. From the kids. Yeah. yeah I'll bet. Because that's really when you know you're doing a great job, right? Or if you are, you, this idea of, you know, kids that I remember um, Sid Bob, who's Indigenous, um, Uh, was one of the hosts with Patty at CDC. And I remember we we had a number of boys who write and said, uh, Sid looks just like, he has a ponytail just like me. And it's that kind of thing. And you know what happens when kids see themselves reflected on screens, you know, it's just empowering. There was this um, study that was done, I think it was in the UK, I may be misquoting, but the, the idea is the same. And it was, there was black girls Black boys, white girls, white boys watched the same block of programming over this period of time after school. And at the end of the study, what they found was at the end of each programming block when they watched it, there was only one group who felt more confident than before. Oh <laughs> It no. was the white boys, right? Yeah. It's, not, yeah, it's true. It's not It's not hard to figure out if you see yourself reflected and not, oh, there I am as the bad guy character again, but, you know, in a number of ways. Um, that's the best way. And I think there's a lot of places we have room to do it. It's not even just the places you automatically assume. We did some work, obviously we helped with the launching of the Center for Scholars and Storytellers, which is out of UCLA. And so we partnered with them first out of Ryerson and um, to help on some of their stuff. And one of the things I worked on there was a boys tip sheet. And we basically had this big, kind of had, again, had academics, students, content creators, people coming together to talk about these issues. And then out of them, what do we really need? And created a boys tip sheet that basically helped content creators think about what are the things that I need to be thinking about, especially for writers, you know, this idea, because I think boys, we need to have more work on too, just in terms of seeing boys doing a variety of things, seeing a variety of emotions a variety of ways that boys can be there's no one boy there's no right. one indigenous uh, girl there's no one south asian person there's you know a, a breadth of personalities and types within any one of these categories and that's what you kind of want to be doing I,
1: I keep thinking do creators for these characters turning stereotypes on their heads do they run the risk of like um having like a broadcaster who would rather have X or Y, you know, that, that, that flies in the face of this type of like progressive uh, content creation.
0: I, I think it happens all the time. Mm. I don't think there's any mystery there. You know JJ when he changed that show he basically did it on his own and then sold it because everybody said no unless it's you know there was a lot of feedback saying it needs to be a guy needs to be a guy I think you have to take some risks and you also have to look at the right places when I look at for example what TVO is doing right now TVO Kids when you look the research that we're showing they are the ones that uh, look the best in their shows out of that research report and because they're really thinking about it. And if you talk to Marnie Malabar, who's the head there, she's really giving it a lot of thought and it's a part of what becomes who they are. And I think that's the challenge, finding out who the people are who are engaged in thinking about that in a brighter way. And also listen, part of the great part of being a content creator is, you know, you have to use all these parts of your brain and one is the creative brain. And then there's this other side, which I think we all use more than we think, which is the creative business side. And part of that is, you know, pitching. How do you get someone to see things your way? We all practiced it when we were kids, when we tried to get our parents to do what we wanted because we wanted something and you try to make it their idea. So what happens, this is a skill you just have to keep using and developing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I talk to students who want to know, you know, how to do it, I always say, again, now I go back to my same thing. It's like. When you research, you do better. So if I find out, if I'm pitching Stefan and I find out he's at the Stefan network and, you know, I want to find out there's, this is the age of information. I can go all over the place and find Stefan talking at this, you know, workshop, doing this conference, blah, blah, blah. I know a lot about you. And once you know a lot (laughs) about people, it's easier to pitch them. And I think part of that is to another thing that I really think about a lot is, um, personalities creativity and how that all intersects so I've always been a big fan of well I've a bit always been a bit obsessed with Myers-Briggs I love Myers-Briggs and I think part of why I got into it and you know Myers-Briggs is that personality test and it's not right. like it's oh, oh it's 100 accurate on everybody but it gives you an idea and I remember at CBC there was this guy and it's a guy I really like and I you know ended up really enjoying working with but we were in this department and I was you know running the kids department and he was kind of in the management of the whole area like overarching on the business side and we disagreed on something that I thought was really important and to the kids department you know there was back and forth and honestly we just happened to both go for executive training at the same time and what I found was he was my Myers-Briggs opposite and it really made me think differently. And I, for a while at CDC, I walked around and I would look at someone and think, hmm, I'd be trying to figure out their Myers-Briggs because as you can imagine, and from this conversation, you know that I'm an extrovert and I tend to sell people on my idea with, I'm going to paint a picture. It's going to be awesome. I get them on the Kim Wilson party parade and everybody's in and excited (laughs) about my ideas. So What I found is that doesn't work quite as well with introverts, and they're often, of course, it's an Mm -hmm. overwhelming thing to listen to me talk. It's great when I'm doing, you know, my speaking engagement stuff. It works great there for introverts, but it doesn't work when you're in a meeting. So I really, in my early early years at CBC, started to really think about personality types and what that meant to not just, you know, you know, lateral and, and upper, you know, managing teams, but, but also how to create teams, how to put teams together where you didn't just have a bunch of great idea people, but you had people who were the great project managers and it sounds basic, but you know, it's amazing how well teams work when you give it an enormous amount of thought in terms of, mm-hmm.
1: you know, mm-hmm. what Light are up.
0: Yeah, what is the makeup of the team and how is that how are they gonna to work together?
1: Yeah, it seems like the tendency would be to pick people who maybe not look like you, but act like you or feel like you or or think like you, someone that you are in simpatico with, but it it seems like it's it would make for a stronger team if you pick people who are opposite so that they fill the gaps that you're leaving uh with your yeah. personality.
0: Totally. Like I'm an ENFP. Mm-hmm. And the N, my biggest letter is an N, which is I fly by the seat of my pants. Like I could, I, you know, I always, my team would make fun of me because if I had a speaking engagement, I'd be five minutes before thinking, okay, I'm going to talk about this because I was way better just off the cuff than if I had to prep, you know, memorize something. And as a P, I needed Js who were more organized to make things actually happen. Trust me. But I, you know, so that, you know, it was a, a part of it. And then also what you just touched on is that idea of kind of, a more diverse team trying to get those mm-hmm. other stories and mm-hmm. thoughts because ideas come from everywhere. But if you're looking at a bunch of white people in a room, you're only getting certain stories from a certain amount of places. So you need yeah.
1: to go beyond. There does need to be a shakeup, you know, behind the scenes that we have more diverse voices that are telling these stories and creating these stories. So you could have, for instance, like an indigenous show for indigenous children created by an indigenous a creative team. Uh, but when we're dealing with kids, the content creators are going to be much older than the children, the audience watching it. Um, and I, from what you're telling me, that's where that that research really comes in. Do you, do you see that there's a potential for, uh, you know, like, is this type of research just the way we should be moving forward with all content?
0: I think every, every project is different. Like I really do think every project kind of, you know, I'm, I'm a funny person. I, I look at a project and I think it tells you what the texture should be like is in 2d, 3d live, live action puppets. I think it's kind of speaks to you a good project. And then, you know, you kind of have to figure out what the missing pieces are. Should you be doing focus testing if it's a TV show. She'd be doing some user testing on an app. You know, I am a big fan of the anytime you can hear from kids, anytime, it's a bonus. So we do a lot of that with One Fish, Two Fish, just because that feedback is invaluable, especially for us combined with this kind of team effort of kind of this educational developmental notes all rolled into one. I, I find that all that together can really turn something that's kind of wobbling into something that's going, you know, on a trajectory with supersonic jetpacks behind it. So, <laughs> um, you know, and that's part of what we want to, we want to make it easier for gun degraders mm-hmm. right? Like that's the kind of way you want to do it. So I don't think there's a one fit solution. I do think that you just have to be figuring out how you can incorporate some ideas of again thinking outside Mm. of the box what do i need to do to know that this is going to work and i i never understand the idea of of not wanting to do it sometimes because you know when you get that feedback it's only going to make the project stronger like if you have something you know is going to work with kids uh you know for whatever reason why not get that feedback And I think it's everywhere, by the way, it's not even all focused testing or all all development uh, of kids or research on particular area. I think research is everywhere. You know, I looked at recently, I read these letters to Santa from kids. And and I think it tells you a lot about emotionally where kids are right now, you know, with some of their, you know, hey, could you get me some... I want a new you know phone iPhone and and can you get mommy a job and mm. you know can you make covid go mm-hmm. away it's like there's it's inter- there's it's just even with the very young kids it's kind of kind of in there in there in there so i think you know i love kids culture so i'm lucky it's part of why i do kids content I am obsessed with Lego minifigures. Like there's just so much <laughs> about kids culture I love. So yay for me. It makes it, it's just fun. I love it. And mm-hmm. not everyone who's in the kids industry is like that. So there's a, and it's not to say one's better or worse. It just means that you want to make sure you're finding a way to figure out what kids are thinking in whatever way that you want to do it. Because I think it's important.
1: Yeah. And not making assumptions. Yeah. You know? Um, I mean, I think one of the dangers is to say, well, you know, I have my kids. And when I ask them what I should do, this is what they told me. So now I have an answer. Uh, yeah. and d- Definitely, like you said, has to go beyond that. You have to get out of that box of your neighborhood or your kids or the, the experiences that you know.
0: That, that research group of one is one everyone is guilty of because, yeah. you know, we don't have a focus testing room just down the street from our house where you say, oh, we're working on this idea. Let's go down and check it out with the kids down there. So we all do it. I do it. We all do it all the time. And all of our kids are very different. So you get these crazy uh, responses or people saying, oh, my two kids love it. So it's going to be amazing. And it's like.
1: Yeah. So so my question then is because earlier you brought up the uh, the idea of of cost, right? And yeah. and that can be monetary, it can be time.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who who would love to have this kind of research or do this kind of research but can't afford the time or the money before they go into their projects. Are there like some low-cost ways both time and money to to do this kind of research or to to research kids and their consumption of media so that you can get a better idea or you can better round out your uh, your creative process?
0: Yeah, I think there's a number of ways. One is looking at what's coming out of places like the Children's Media Lab, some of the research reports that you see highlighted at Kid Screen or even on Kids Screen on the site uh, and in the magazine, they do some of that. So I think it's looking at things that are kind of, or the Youth Media Alliance in Canada, there's all sorts of places where there's free research, looking at our events, like we're gonna release, we're releasing this research and then in March, we're gonna have a think tank night. So you go on our, our website, um, Children's Media Lab and find out what our upcoming events are and, Uh, take a look at that. But then in terms of shows, I actually think, you know, and I understand because I've, I've managed a lot of budgets and a lot of money over the years, you know, getting focused, like getting kind of an educational consultant package you know, we're talking a few, two or $3,000 sometimes. Like, it's not an enormous amount of money. Focus testing, five or $10,000. Like, it's not that much to do user yeah. testing or focus testing or get, you know, someone to take a look at it from fresh eyes, from that educational or from kid, even from a kid centric perspective. It, I find it helpful. And, you know, we've been working with a, comp- a particular company, but uh, just a little, this fall and done a few projects for them. And honestly, it's just so rewarding to see, you know, we just do this thing and we say, and then the project goes, yeah, into the stratosphere. It's just so much better. And it doesn't take that much. So mm-hmm. I, and that's what I love. I love whatever, whether it's a children's be lab where we put a report out or whether we're doing the one fish, two fish consulting, it's like you can help a project with just because you're outside of it, you can look at it f- with fresh eyes, but also from that research and developmental perspective and say, here's what you need to be thinking about. And it can help decide a lot of things on a, doing VR on an app, like all of those things. There's ways that kids approach it and think about it. And it's just sometimes mm-hmm. tweaks on words Where's the button? What's the color? What's confusing that make that different, right? And I always laugh about the number one note that um, Lynn and I used to give when we were at CBC. And I really, yeah, I mean, I learned so much from Lynn and that's one of the great things about being an info geek like me is you're just learning from people all around you all the time. And she, the most common note she would give is make it funnier because physiologically your brain changes when you're laughing and it allows you to learn better. It's that simple. And so, you know, there are points where it's like, you know, people do suffer an educational broadcaster and they start getting all serious. Well, it's like, throw that out the window. Come on, let's have a little bit of fun with this because that's where you're going to have the most impact with kids. They're laughing and learning at the same time. And so, you know, it's amazing what the notes can be. Sometimes there are sometimes very simple and straightforward, but that minor change can make such a dramatic okay. yeah. difference
1: huge difference. I think a lot about kids. I mean, I've done some work in VR, so I've thought about how do we make VR for kids, but then also just uh, kids are always picking up new technology, new platforms in general. I mean, YouTube and streaming uh, content on platforms such as Twitch, really popular with kids. How, how is your research sort of being informed or how are you, you branching out your research to move into these uh, technology platforms?
0: Well, Colleen has done, Dr. Colleen Russo-Johnson has done quite a bit of research coming into working with us on uh, app, more on the, the, the app space. And mm-hmm. we, but I have to say right now, you know, we're like any content creator in the same way looking for fun funding for your next research right so that's the direction we want to go for sure i think there's tremendous opportunities in particular in the vr space around um empowerment and learning for kids it's such a you know, the texture of the VR experience and how that can impact what you can take in is, I think, extremely powerful. And I'm kind of excited. If there was an area I was the most geeked out, excited about, it's probably VR and education. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually working on something um, right now at Titan One Studios along that line. So I just find it to be the tip of the iceberg. And, uh, you know, I think one of the things too is just this idea of, um, you know, now that we can, you know, the, the future of creativity is, the future of creativity is really in collaboration. So we're no longer, it's like, oh, here's my team. And I know have, I have these skills and you have these skills, but we don't have this other skill and we want to do this cool thing. You know, it's going to be all about collaborating with people who are great at this stuff. So I think that will actually help also with some of moving into some of these areas and doing some really amazing work is just finding people. You know, maybe there's somebody in Belgium who's doing something fantastic or in Brazil that's doing something fantastic. And I think that's a big part of where we are going and where we need to go to be able to kind of, uh, you know, like maximize the information that's out there and the skill set and everything, right? Because, you know, the future is. You know, we have so much technology. It's such a great environment. I love thinking about the future. I love listening to futurists. It's all really fascinating to me. I'm a sci-fi fan. I, I read and watch anything dystopian. You know, I'm all for all that stuff. And it's it's all interesting. But then at the end of the day, it's like, um, how do we kind of approach this uh, from a content perspective? What can, we, what can I tell students in terms of, uh, or new people in the industry about how they need to move forward? as they move through this industry. And I think part of it is meet as many people as you can, get to know as many people as you can, figure out ways to collaborate, who has what skills. I say to my classes all the time, look around who you're working with now, Mm -hmm. because some of them might work for you or you might work for them at some point, this idea of kind of collaborating um, creatively. And then I guess the next step of that, and it kind of ties into what we've been talking about earlier about this kind of getting out of your box and, you know, having friends and meeting people and working with people who have different experiences, have different backgrounds, you know, or any, whatever gender, whatever this, whatever disability, whatever it happens to be. It's the same, I think, in terms of this idea of uh, future work collaborations, this creative collaboration. It's this idea that we also getting back to research have to do a little legwork and find out what what would it be like when you worked with somebody okay let's say i find an amazing vr uh creator in japan how is that going to work for me and then that gets me to this whole other area i kind of geek out about which is the kind of culture mapping Mm -hmm. how you can you know map um how different cultures do work. I think there's no mystery. The future skills are going to be around creativity. We have technology. There's going to be robots. We can do all these things. But in days of yore, Uh, Art was valued as important. In days in the future, Art creativity is gonna be valued as important for the same reasons, because you can't make a machine think creatively in that way. So how do we wanna leverage that the best way? I wanna leverage it by working with as many people as I can, even on the research side, whether it's Mm -hmm. research or whatever, or on a project. And so I know know from personal experience, working at broadcasters and making mistakes and not um, thinking about things, in the right way, I know that there's all sorts of different contexts you have to be thinking about. So, you know, there's, for example, you know, high context, low context um, in terms of how you communicate. So how we communicate in Canada versus communicating with somebody in Japan is much different. We, if we wanted to communicate a hundred things we would say 150 things. And if, you know, Japanese person wants to communicate 100 things, they would say 70 things, because there's so much more nuance and body language, you know, when you're dealing with um, uh, Asian cultures and uh, compared to Canada and the US and Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot to learn about that whole area in terms of the subtleties of working with other cultures, where sometimes if you sum up what happened in a meeting, you insult someone. If you know right. you go to a meeting and they get mad because they aren't there on time, well, it might be that you're working with a culture that doesn't, um, it's not the same. Um, in terms of how they feel about time, some cultures mm-hmm. feel differently about the boss is one of us, or it's very hierarchical. So it's very easy to make mistakes in those cultures. And I know I'm going on a little bit of a tangent, but it's a fascinating research. Oh feature. yeah,
1: So. <laughs> and I think it ties into the, the overall uh, uh, research angle as well, because not only do you have to then research the cultures that you're going into because people um, you know, because you wanna make content for kids globally, but also because you have to work with those people globally and then have to understand how you can work with them. And I mean, you and I have talked about this uh, before and we've worked with international teams before. uh, And I think that, you know, we're of of like mind of this, that there is a lot of differences of working with teams around the world.
0: And I think it's all, like, I think about, if if somebody were to look at me and for people who know me, I'm not a detail-oriented person. You know, i I've always, you know, I was lucky enough to have big teams for many, many years of my career, and now, of course, I have teams, but they're more volunteers at the Children's Media Lab, or and you know, small group of us that are employed at at work at the One Fish, Two Fish Consulting Company. But it's this idea. I guess I realize there's a through line in my life, just in terms of this. Like I've always loved road trips, for example, mm. and I think of all the things I've found on road trips because I like to research before I go on road trips. And it's not that I wanna know the population of Spain, or is I wanna know, you know, like I remember going on a road trip and finding out where Serial City USA was. Uh, so I could go <laughs> and have an ice cream uh, Sunday with Fruit Loops on it and dance with Tony the Tiger. One of the highlights of my life, I might Amazing. add. And by the way, being there helped me do a deal later on with Kellogg's and another project. So, you know, it never knows when it's going to come back. But, you know, and I found the Eternal Tap in St. Mary's, Pennsylvania, which is this amazing brewery, one of the oldest breweries in the US. And they have, you'd like, if you like beer, like I do, you would like this. There's an Eternal Tap. You go in this back door, and the tap is always there. And you're allowed to come in and have three 12 ounce glasses of beer. You wash your glasses, and then you go along. It's the eternal It's been there for decades. And this, I think Strom started in mid 1800s. Wow. So, but those are the kind of things. When I was in Iceland, I found this turquoise waterfall because I'm a geocacher. So I'm well, doing a little bit, where are the geocachers? And they always take you in interesting places. Mm-hmm. So even though I'm not a detail-oriented person, here I am in, in a position where I love research. I love all of this geeky stuff because I just think it's like, it's interesting, right? And it always helps you make better content. When I was first in kids, I remember, you know, or first, you know, I guess producing and stuff. I remember going, um, looking at a list of 300 things that kids love. And I, I'm a big fan of this evergreen concept for kids, too. There's evergreen concepts, which means there's stuff that always works for kids. You know, castles are always a winner and princesses and different things. Some of the things you see in Disney movies, but balloons are always a hit for kids. Um, you know, uh, fart pillows are always a hit for kids. Like, there's just so many crazy things. <laughs> right. And it's like, all, they're all meant to be the same as what I keep talking about, this idea of inspiring you, you know, to, and empowering you to make the best content. And I also think there's a, a future area because the, there's a, you know, the data revolution is upon us. Mm-hmm. I love the whole data revolution concept. And uh, I, I saw that you had somebody on one of your podcasts who talked about data visualization. And I love this right. whole da- idea of algorithms and like, these patterns that develop. And I think as we move forward with kids content, regardless of the platform, getting kind of deeper into what the data science can help us learn. You know, when kids leave a uh, program, how long they spend on a game, where they go, mm-hmm. what, how they react to this, we, you know, it's like user testing, but for real, but all of that stuff, you know, we know that it's helped Netflix make shows. We know it's helping companies sell ads, but the idea of using it to help you find out some data and tell the story, get, get mm-hmm. your your pal that from that company who gives you the data visualization stuff, and because it does tell a story when it's told in the right way, right. and I'm kind of uh, geeked out by that right now. The whole data science area—what's going to happen?
1: Yeah, and and then the uh, the ability to use your content or to track the engagement with your content to get information. Uh, so, that you're basically uh, not necessarily user testing new projects, but you're getting that research from the, the actual projects that you're producing.
0: Yeah. Again, it's every, I'm just so excited. And, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. I've been doing this for
1: a very long time 30 years. Yeah.
0: Next be thirty years Successfully
1: and like, so. <laughs> I'm just
0: still so excited about finding stuff out. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something to be said for, and I don't think I'm the only one. If you go to kid screen and they have kids on a panel, that's a, uh, that's a session that's heavily attended it, because people want to know when um, Nickelodeon used to do their release of their big study. You always went to that session because you wanted to know. And it's the same kind of idea. That's what focus testing. That's what all these things are about. We all want to hear from kids and know, and that's, you know, so that's such a I, I mean, it's such a, a fun part for me, trying to find out more all the time. Why are kids reading this book? I'm forever saying to my son, so what's why? What, what's the appeal of this game? What's the, why, why is this one? How come this one is, you know, we've had these big long conversations about Among Us, trust me. And I think I'm more addicted to, than him. <laughs> I play after he goes to bed, but it's just, I find it very therapeutic. I will say it's so relaxing. <laughs> sounds terrible it sounds, it's relaxing to kill other characters and <laughs> lie about it it sounds terrible it sounds terrible but you know
1: no i get it it's for for me it's a board game same idea just yeah that well, we're, we're, com-
0: we're coming up to a big board game tournament here it is It that's a part i've always loved too you, yeah. i think you and i share the love of board games and we make a lot of our own board games here too oh nice yeah Our best one has been the babysitter game. You can get a a caught in three, you know, you have to go around, get the, have the kid survive till the parents come home and you can get caught in these snack wheels where the kid doesn't like any of the snacks or you can get caught in the one where there's a first aid emergency. But the worst one is where there's a poo accident. just so you know. (laughs) But honestly, you got to have, everybody has to have creative outlets. And for me, it's board games and baking. So
1: nice. Nice. Kind of cool. So what's the future got in store for you? Where where are things going next, do you think?
0: Oh, my gosh. In terms of kids' content, where is kids' content going? Yeah,
1: or specifically, you know, where, where do you want to go in the next, like, let's say, 2021, 2022?
0: I think I want to be involved in projects that are meaningful. I mean, I've done this only because like kids is my job because I've always wanted to make a difference and have impact. And Mm. I believe in this kind of every show, it's not that they have to be educational, but they have the power to make a difference in kids' lives. So I wanna do projects. I think I'm, you know, lately I'm more interested in areas that I don't have as much skill like VR, AR, those areas, because I wanna grow and expand. Um, I love working with the academics, I do. I love being the content person with the academics and chatting about stuff and learning about it. And the way we usually work is, you know, they there's the research and then I write up what basically, how we can turn that into actionable insights, how to use this research and what it means and all of that kind of stuff. So that's kind of a nice part. I'd love, I really wanna do more of that research around some of the new tech stuff for sure, progressive. So we have more and more information um, uh, in a leadership, rather than you know, kind of, I don't want to be behind. I always want to be leading the charge. Um, oh, we're doing an interesting project this year. We're writing a chapter. It's so funny. We're talking about the future, and we're writing a chapter on uh, as part of a book that's being published on the history of children's television around the world. Oh, nice! So we're writing the the Children's Media Lab is writing the uh, the kids uh, in Canada section. So I actually think there'll be a lot to learn from that because it's funny when you watch old stuff and think of old stuff and talk about how things were done. It's amazing. Sometimes you pick those kernels of greatness and think, you know, that can be applied in the same way that, you know, for example, um, you know, we kind of brought back the tone of Fred Rogers in Mm -hmm. that new show we did, you know, when I was at CC Daniel Tigers neighborhood, because it still had the tone and the feel of it, but, made for kids and what their visual palettes are like now because uh people always used to say to me well why why don't you have you know a mr rogers neighborhood why don't you have you know what any mr dress up back and but those shows don't work anymore these kids sit in the back of vans they see screens everywhere they have a very sophisticated visual palette and so you know, that's where it, so that's why you have to think differently about that. So yes. So that project really, I'd like to be doing more that's relevant, that has impact in terms of the research doing interesting projects. And I don't really, I'm kind of like this, that I just did a really cool project. I would have never thought, um, that I would be doing this year, but I, out of another project that we were working on with one fish, two fish, I got asked to help brand a character for, um, yeah, for, Someone and I had a blast and realized Mm -hmm. because, you know, I've done a lot of shows that were about branding, branding blocks, branding this, that, and the other. And because I love kids and know so much about them, it was a delightful experience. So, you know, some of those things that are just a little bit outside the, you know, my general bailiwick is kind of cool. Um, So I don't know, I'm open, but I want to do interesting, fun, informative stuff that it spurs change is exciting Mm -hmm. empowering inspiring those are like the cornerstones of my whole life i like to do things that inspire empower kids and i also now want to inspire and empower content creators right it's so awesome to be working with and around them and be one of them from time to time and it's i just you know anything to make it better understanding their challenges just to get content made and finding money and all those things, anything, you know, to help that process, to help the creatives be more creative and um, be more inspired is, you know, it's, I find that extremely rewarding.
1: Amazing. Well, I think that this is the perfect time for it. I mean, we need some uplifting uh, content. We need some things that are challenging our norms. And we also need some things that uh, not only inspire us, but also are moving towards change. Uh, So I definitely wish you all the best in, in that endeavor. And uh, I want to thank you, Kim, for being a guest on our show. This was amazing. Uh, I, I really look forward to seeing what you work on next. Uh, and I really hope you have uh, happy holidays. Thank you.
0: And I hope we can meet up soon uh, at some point and play a board game together.
1: Yes, let's do that. <laughs> All right. This episode of Can't Sell This was produced in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. All creative content contained in this episode is copyright Stefan Grambart and Hugh Elliott. Intro voice by Jeff Wright. Intro music track is Energy by Not Of from their 2015 album, Peak. Questions or comments can be sent to admin at com. Any other information can be found at can'tsellthispodcast.com.